To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have back on my friend Todd Helms. Todd Helms is the editor at Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and Eastman's Hunting Journal, and he and he does a great job with it. Um, so today our podcast is all about capturing the hunt, and we talk about capturing the hunt through written word and how to get published through one of our magazines. Uh, we talk about harvest photos, we talk about support photos, we talk about quality, and, and everything in between. Todd's a, a heck of an elk hunter and a great fisherman, and this summer I've had the chance to hang out with him a bit, and I, I've really enjoyed it, um, and I really enjoyed this conversation. So we'll get right into it. just want to thank the sponsors, uh, High Mountain Seasoning. High Mountain Seasoning makes a variety of jerky seasonings, and I made a batch this year with my antelope that's just absolutely to die for. Uh, so I've been trying out these different jerky seasonings. They also make everything you need to make snack sticks, summer sausage, uh, everything to process your own your wild game. Uh, they also make steak marinades. Uh, it's just a great company, great flavor to their seasoning. So make sure to check them out. Our other sponsor for today's show is Iota Outdoors. Uh, Iota makes high-end scope rings and mounts. Um, their, their scope rings and mounts are built so you can trust them. Uh, they also have a built-in level. Um, I, I always think that's so important so you don't can't your rifle because if you if you can't it to the right you miss to the right and uh, same thing goes with the left but having that level in there just make sure that your rifle's sitting level on any slope for any shot um, I just think that's so important to accuracy so I always mention that Iota also makes high-end rifle stocks uh, they've got a couple different ones to choose from uh, it'll really improve your accuracy so if you're in the market for a new stock make sure to check them out Iota Outdoors over there at Eastman's, um, yeah, everybody's been busy going on these hunts. Uh, I see Damp Cars had a lot of success here. Uh, arrowed a really good bowl, got an antelope the other day. And uh, so the pictures are starting to roll in, and, and it's uh, fun to be part of. Uh, make sure to be on the lookout. We've got some great Beyond the Grids coming up. Uh, I'll make sure to let you know the episodes and when they're going to drop. Uh, we've got some great ones already. If you just search Beyond the Grid um, on YouTube, uh, you'll come across it and some great videos. And with that, uh, let's get into it. So Todd Helms and I, Eastman's Elevated, here we go. Yeah, I can hear you clear as a bell. Perfect. Right on. Well, um, man, it's been fun. We've been hanging out a couple days there. We got to fish together. Um, you made a run up here to Montana. It's been fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a great time of year to be up in your neck of the mountains. And, uh, you know, I got to love fishing in Montana when you, when you get the chance, everything down around us is, is just starting to come into shape. Water's still high and muddy. We've gotten a ton of rain like you guys have and big snow year, um, in a lot of places. And there's still a lot of snow in high country in, in places here. So, um, yeah, there's roads you can't even use because there's so much snow up high. Guys are having to get creative with their scouting. <laughs> <laughs> I for, bet. For deer, but 
Yeah. I no, thought, man, it's been fun. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed being in the boat with you and having a good time. Oh, yeah, we've had fun. Yeah, it happens way later in Wyoming. There's a couple rivers in Montana it happens later, but for some reason, you know, these rivers right around me, even though I'm around the same elevation as you and the mountains are the same height, they just – um. They seem to clear up a little bit sooner, but yeah, it's been fun, man. Really good hatches, and then you're really good at fly fishing. It's fun to fish with somebody that's good at fly fishing and then also really good at oaring. You must have guided for years because you you sure know your way around a drift boat and behind the sticks. Well, I appreciate that. That's a heck of a compliment, Brian, because I can say the same thing about you. If you know, we we kind of laughed fishing the other day. When we had you and and your dad in the boat, all three of us were in the boat, and it was like everybody knew how to run the oars, and everybody knew how to fish how to fish well, and what a what a team to float down a riverbank, just as you said, just assassinating cover and features where the fish are. Those, those trout, if they're gonna eat, man, they don't stand a chance with a team like that in the boat. At least it feels that way, anyway. Oh, it sure does, doesn't it? They're like fly fishing so much about it, and it's not a fly fishing podcast. This is just like what we've been doing, no. hanging out lately. <laughs> but like uh, fly fishing, it's so much about the way you fish the fly rather than the fly that you're fishing. If that makes sense, like it's not like there's a magic bug you put on and every fish is trying to eat it. It's like the way you present it and the way you cast it in, and it's a high degree of difficulty to get it flipped under the trees or to get a mend or a reverse mend with the current so the current doesn't grab your line and pull your bug like like there's a real art to it that takes hours to master it hours days weeks months years to master it and so it takes a long time with a fly rod in your hands to get that good and also in a boat and so when you're going down you can really appreciate skill when somebody can get it in there and then you get rewarded for it you know and and we've been able to see some really nice trout and and we're really looking for a day we pushed the limits the other day and went and fished up high that was really fun as that's a, a pretty gnarly stretch in a drift boat there there aren't many guys that do it in the drift boat we went for it unfortunately we got stormed out but we did see some nice fish you caught that real nice brown off that shelf that was fun yeah that was some skinny water you know he was laying there off that shelf and just a couple inches of water and i just i don't know had a feeling and threw it in there but you know when you were talking about it's not so much the fly it's the way you fish it i you know i saw some of that the just the day after you and I floated, I fished a different section and fished a different bug and still had phenomenal results. And I, I'm sitting here thinking about that as, as we're talking, and it's the same. It's kind of an analogy for writing stories, you know, for, for writing a hunting story. It's, it's not so much the story, it's the way you tell it, if that makes sense. You know, to make a to make a really awesome story, there there's lots of awesome stories out there. But if you don't tell it the right way, you're not going to get anybody to bite on it. Does that make sense? Man, it so does. Uh, what a great segue. What are you, a podcast host over there? <laughs> no, uh, you're you're absolutely right, Todd. Like that, um, that relates to so much to what I do on the podcast. Is is like a lot of times you're right. It's 
everybody's hunting story is really cool. Like it's a unreal experience to go out in nature and to be able to get into them and be in the, the heart of action and earn all that, you know, the majority of them earn it on public ground, which is really tough and then have it come together. Like everybody has an epic hunting story, but, but that's not what gets you into the magazine. What gets you in the magazine is you have to be good at articulating and telling that story, good at the details. And you don't have to be, like this phenomenal writer to make it in the magazine. Like you're really good at working no. with guys. Like like writing, you know, writing's an art as well. And I know you believe this too. You're right. a really good writer. Um, but but really, it's oh, just thanks, the Brian. the thoughts in your head, being able to put those onto paper, and it doesn't just all come at once. Like for me, I have to write things, and then I have to go back over them. Sometimes I've got to cross off entire paragraphs and go. God, I just didn't say that the way I wanted to say that. But but the magazine, the art of it is to really be a good storyteller through your words, isn't it? So people can picture it and be there. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You can have the same story told by two different people, and it's completely different. It's the same story, but it's completely different. You know, where as one person's just going to talk about the nuts and bolts, and we went out, found it, found this bull, and got him killed, and we packed him out, and we went home. And it's like, okay, that's a nice job. Cool, cool. That was short, sweet, to the point. But there's an art to it that, in it, yeah, you don't have to be a pro, obviously. I mean, that's what I'm here for, to help guys with their submissions. And I love doing that. I love helping people get the story told correctly. But if you can think about a different angle or more detail or just those little snippets of things that you can add in and pretend you're sitting around a campfire with a group of buddies or a group of people you don't even know and you're telling them about this hunt it should be a story that gets people's attention first of all holds their attention with the details and then leaves them walking away from it going wow what a cool story with the way you wrap it all up at the end and it does take some time. Like you said, it's, it's hard to just sit down and crank one of those out the first shot and have it be perfect. Very few people can do that. You know, the best of the best writers didn't even do that. They said that Hemingway would sit down and write for eight hours when he was writing books and novellas and short stories. He would sit down, start his day at 5 a.m., and he might write a couple sentences in eight hours or a paragraph or two in eight hours or a page in eight hours. And that's, and I'm not asking for that kind of dedication for a magazine article, <laughs> obviously, but that just gives you an idea of how, how it can be. And at the same time, Brian, I talk to guys every year that want to do a submission, you know, they kill a great bull or buck or ram and they have a great story to tell, but they're, Blue collar guys, man, they, they, you know, they, they work with their hands for a living or maybe they, they work with numbers behind a desk. It doesn't matter what they do. Maybe they're not comfortable trying to tell, write up a story. And that's, I like helping those guys and saying, you know what, you just get your thoughts on paper the best you know how. And it's my job as your editor to clean it up and to make it the best it can possibly be. And I obviously get some submissions every year that are like, holy smokes, I got my work cut out for me. And that's okay. That's my job. That's why I'm here. But I also get some like the EBJ that's, that's out right now. 
there's two stories in the EBJ that are out right now. Nick Sager's story about his polar bear hunt in none of it. And then uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of it. Let me grab a magazine real quick. So just a little backstory. So Todd's my editor over there at Eastman's Hunting Journal, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. So you guys have heard him on the podcast before. He also runs um, Wingman over there. And so what we're talking about is, is being able to submit a story to Eastman's. Um, God, what a prestigious honor to have an article in print for other like-minded backcountry hardcore bow hunters or hardcore rifle hunters to be able to read your story and really – like, guys, this is how I got my start in the industry. I didn't know how to start back in the day, and so I started submitting articles. And I, I started writing articles, and, and believe me, I never did good in English class. I, I never was good with my grammar, my punctuation. my Like, I, was, I wasn't good at any of that. The only thing I was good at was hunting and telling my story, and so I just started working at it. And the more you do it, the better you get. I'm all self-taught, but, but really – to be printed in one of these magazines, that's how I got my start. That's how people started to notice me. That's how I started to make a name for myself, that I could go on these these giant adventures. Then I could write about it, tell my story. Um, Eastman's did a great job. Like it, Back in the day, they would get, they'd get you gear for your story. They still do now to this day, and it's all good, high-quality gear. And I remember that was like the first sponsorship I had or the first free gear that anybody had ever sent me, you know, and it meant a lot. I remember – like they send you an, an Eastman's bow hunting journal hat, and I remember it was like a free hat that I earned for my for my story. <laughs> Almost earned it for my blood, sweat, and tears, and I was proud of that. Right. And, and wore it the next years, and I'm I'm still proud to this day to be able to write in that magazine. But it's such a cool deal to to have your your hunting story presented to other like-minded hunters, and so that's what me and Todd are talking about right now is is this year everybody's planning these hunts, and I just want to plant the seed with you guys so you guys take a bunch of photos, which those photos, whether you're in print or not, are so fun to look back on and, and to write that story. I still have every story I've ever written, and I go back and I read the first one that I had in print in Eastman's Magazine, and I'm really proud of it, and I can – you know, I can I can see all my influences. I know how much better of a writer I am nowadays, but I could still tell a good story back then, and, and I'm proud of that. So I just wanted to give you a little backstory of what we're talking about. So what was the other story you were talking about, Todd, in Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal? Yeah, we kind of put the cart before the horse there a little bit, um, kind well, of jumped into it, conversation. But yeah, it was your smooth transition it, is what did it. So I just wanted to give the guys some well, good backstory. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, so EBJ 114 is the most current issue that we have right now. We just sent, uh, we just sent EHJ 174 out last week to the printer, but that won't hit mailboxes or it's digitally available as we speak. But just an example, a couple examples of stories that are just amazing from right out of the gate in EBJ 114. The first one is a story called The Change by David Burgess. And I don't normally, we don't normally print stories in their entirety. We have a pretty, we're pretty limited for space in the magazines. And so if you write a story that 1,500 or 2,000 words or 2,500 words, I'm going to whittle that down at the editor's desk to seven, eight, 900 words. So I can use a bunch of your pictures and still tell the story in its kind of dis, 
kind of a a distilled essence of your of the story, if that makes sense. The other one in there is called by Nick Sagar, it's a polar bear hunt in none of it called Cavavow's Smile. Both of those stories we published in their entirety, which very seldom happens. They're over Cavavow's Smile, Nick Sagar's story was over 2,000 words, and we I used the whole thing. I read it, and it was literally, I think I changed like maybe one or two things in it. And that was just little grammatical slips that he had made that was, it was perfect as it was. Those are rare. I don't see a lot of those because uh, quite frankly, guys aren't, you know, guys, guys don't write for a living and that's, I don't expect them to be. That's an, those are examples of like, holy smokes, those are amazing. Then I've got other examples of a, of somebody who has maybe struggled to get me seven or 800 words. And that's okay because I take those and I polish it up and we still get it in the magazine. And then what a lot of times I see, Brian, is those, those guys that maybe struggle telling the story with words have taken really good photos. So they have great photo support and their photos, you know, we've all heard the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. That is so true with the magazine because I can tell a story or my designers can tell a story with those pictures and the words are kind of like support, which is really cool. So there's options out there. I guess if, I guess if I'm going to shoot for a piece of advice, it's, you kind of hit on it earlier. You need to be taking a lot of high quality photos in the field because the story is going to be etched in your head. If that makes sense. And you're going to be able to sit down later on, and write that out, especially if you have good photos to help jog your memory. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it absolutely makes sense, yeah. Um, well, And I, I love I, – I just want to touch on what you're talking about a little bit more because it is so important, like the pictures. I mean, me for my layouts um, you know, of my articles – I'm always looking at the pictures to tell even more of a story than my words. Like I want guys to look at my pictures and want to be in that spot. And it's, um, you know, I I'm self-taught as a photographer too, and and all I do yeah, is, and you're darn you're darn good at it. Too. <laughs> well, thank all you. you um, all I do is just put myself in really cool places and then hit the shutter button and figure it out from there. And I've learned some stuff <laughs> over the years, but really what takes the best photos is just being in cool places, doing cool things and taking photos of it, you know, even just looking back right. at like just me and you fishing the last couple of days. Some of the photos that I've been able to grab just along the way, just having my right. camera there, you know, that tells a whole story about what we were doing. And you're right. It jogs your memory. You look at those stories of like that story that I posted yesterday that's a pretty cool oh, picture man. with that dark clouds and just into the belly of the beast like I, I like taking those pictures but um, yeah uh, photography to me it, it you remember the hunt and catalog it so well and a picture is worth a thousand words like I'd almost rather write a 500 word article or a thousand word article but then just have a really good layout with really good pictures man does that make for a great article and it just it captivates the audience and so you're right the way to do that I take pictures like I'm going to be successful on every hunt even if it comes down to the end I'm still right. taking a bunch of photos right. I mean um, and I'm taking photos because I like it. It doesn't take away from my hunt. Like I'm, 
sometimes I'm I'm looking for what I call like the million dollar shot. If I'm hunting with a buddy, sometimes that picture will mean more to me than arrow and a trophy. Like that, I've got a picture of my buddy Chase hunting caribou in Alaska, and we snuck up on this giant bull that had over you know 400 inches 40 50 points and we snuck in inside 40 yards on this thing and we're kneeling right there and my buddy chase arrow knocked and we're just waiting for this bull to stand and i started grabbing pictures with my camera and i had a good lens on there and i've got this picture of him blurry with his bow and then the caribou's horns right on the skyline in bow range in focus in oh, focus oh my oh. gosh it's just the million dollar photo i i absolutely yeah, man, love cool. that and and hunting takes us to well, the the most remote places and it's like everywhere you look is a picture it's when you're up there, it's a special feeling you get, and you can capture that with a camera. You can capture those moments with a camera, and throughout the entire year, go back and look at those photos, and they'll take you back to that spot. I mean, I've got pictures blown up in my house of my favorite hunting spots. I've got one of my buddy Dan with his backpack, and he's hiking the high mountains of Colorado, and there's a big storm building in the backdrop, but the it's all sunlit. And I had it blown up and in my house, and like it's a certain feeling to look at that photo so yeah you just you can't take enough good photos and it's so easy today with you know the cameras and i really like like high quality images but those dslrs are heavy cameras so i understand like those mirrorless cameras right now are man are they money like what a bang for your buck for those a6000s or those a6300s I still use that connected to my bino harness. A lot of times I'll bring two cameras, and I'm running the A7-2R, which I absolutely love. I've got a killer Zeiss lens on it, but that A6000 for the money, oh, my God, will that thing take great shots. Still, I use that camera constantly with a wide-angle lens or different lenses, and it just doesn't cost that much to get into. And that, coupled with, you know, a good cell phone camera, some of those cameras nowadays have three different lenses, and I I don't like to push yes. cell phone cameras for articles. I know, but, I know. But you know but your work. cell phone. They work. Yeah, and some people's yeah, cell phones yeah, are so good. Like, even that picture of that brown that I got, like, that you caught off that shelf, I had my camera in the boat because right. we were hiking, and so I just clicked a quick one. And I have like an iPhone and it's a great 8. Photo. And it's a great photo. So you just with a right, cell phone, right. you know, use that in, in addition to the camera. Or if that's all you got, just take a bunch with that too. Some of my buddies, that's all yeah. they use. And they get great photos and video. Just use that thing yep. and just be clicking pictures every time you stop, everywhere you're walking, everywhere you got a good backdrop. And then like I like to get the foreground too, like whether that's flowers or the crick or a tree in the right, foreground. Right. But just just start messing with it, and you'll see what's cool and what's not cool. And in today's day of social media, like, you can build your own name from nothing. Like, you can build a following, you know, just by taking cool photos. And, and really cool photos is just going and doing cool things and capturing, I really think. No, I completely agree. And I really want to touch on the phone aspect because I would say the bulk of submissions that come across my desk are photographs with phones whether it's an iPhone or whether it's an Android phone, it, the cameras in these phones today are, are really high quality. And, you know, people, back in the day, I would say, you know, five, ten years ago, you, we couldn't use cell phone images to, in a magazine. They just they, they were not good enough for publication. 
But these newer phones, anything from, I'd say, an iPhone 6 or newer, and Android, I, I couldn't tell you models on Androids. I've run an iPhone now for so long. But um, if you buy, if you've got a cell phone that's with the three years, two to three years old in your pocket, it's going to take pretty good photos. Now, there's things that will affect that. If you have a big waterproof case, like I do on my phone, if I'm going to run video or photos on my phone, I take it out of that life-proof case or the OtterBox case if you got one of those, just because it's one more thing between your lens and your subject of your photo. But, I mean, honestly, Brian, we have printed covers in the last year that were, well, let me say the last two, that were taken with a cell phone, with like an iPhone. And that's, I mean, a cover photo is, when you see, when you look at an Eastman's, cover somebody with it's on the cover of either ehj or ebj everything about that has to be everything about that submission has to be like perfect it has to be a very high quality animal the, the angle of the, the photo has to be right it has to be a vertical shot for all you guys out there that are planning on knocking down something giant and, and are interested in submission for a cover or think you've got cover material you've got to have vertical shots we've got to we've got to have vertical think magazine cover so the orientation of the photo is, is straight up and down versus horizontal and we've had guys do do that with phones the story has to be well told the pictures have to be great it takes so much to get a cover that out of all the submissions that i get in a year there's only a dozen of them that make a cover and that's saying that's saying a lot because i get a lot of submissions in in a year and I would say the bulk of those are the photographs, the photos are taken with a cell phone. And that's not an issue if, like you said, you're thinking about the composition of your photograph, you're thinking about the framing of your photograph, you're thinking about putting those photographs together the best you can. I don't know how many times that I'll get it, someone will send in a great animal and the nose will be cut off or they will have taken a picture too close with the phone and part of the antlers or the horn will be cut off. And for just pulling it up on your phone and showing somebody, it's like, oh, that's cool for putting it in a magazine as a submission or, like you said, printing it off, blowing it up, and framing it in your house. You want to take some time and really take lots of good photos and I'd like to hear your thoughts because you're really good, Brian, on on taking trophy photos. And I would like to hear your thoughts on how you prep an animal in the field to take trophy shots. Oh, man. Um, a good trophy shot is an art. I bet you sort through so many there at, at uh, the magazine oh, picking those things out. And, and like you say, a cover one is so special. Taking those vertical shots is a great tip. But... Um, yeah, harvest shots, um, you want to do the animal justice. Like the harvest shot to me is as much the trophy as anything that I've done out there. You're trying to capture that moment of success that's so difficult to obtain. And so, yeah, when I get an animal down, like back in the day, you used to almost get overwhelmed trying to get a good photo of it, you know, just to, to be able to see it. But I use, um... My camera, I can connect to an app on my phone that then my my phone acts as a remote. But most of the time, I just set sure. a timer on my camera. I set it up right. on a tripod. Right. 
I frame the shot like it's really important when you get the animal down to really clean it up and make it look presentable. If it's going to be in a magazine, like you're representing all hunters out there, like if you double lung right. an animal, he's got blood coming out of his nose. And sometimes that can be really tough to clean up. I usually take my game bags and I'll really wipe the nose down and I'm just trying to clean up everything. The shot, I'm trying to clean up the shot so that it doesn't have a bunch of blood running down the body and just clean it up so so it's aesthetically appeasing, you know, to the eye. So I really clean up my trophy and anytime I get a trophy down, like I'm taking a bunch of photos. I want to take walk-up photos. I want to take close-ups of the horns, grabbing the horns. I want to snow falling down on the horns. I want to, you know, before I get my trophy or as I'm getting my trophy. But when I arrow a good critter, like I'll probably gather 100 to 200 photos. And in harvest shots, yeah, you got to get working on your animal. And the meat is the priority to get that taken care of. But, you know, you've got time to set up and get a really good picture like you should on a really good animal that you kill i think it should be 50 to 100 pictures of just the harvest photo because you start sorting through those and find what you like right and what's that take brian 30 minutes yeah maybe 30 minutes and to me it's all part of it of really enjoying the experience that it came together is taking a few moments before I get back to work, uh, just enjoying that this came together. And, and to me that that's part of the joy. And like, I've got a smile on my face when my, when my kid harvests an animal, I'm taking a bunch of photos when my family does. And the same thing when I harvest an animal, I'm taking a bunch of photos so I can remember this moment and grab a couple good images. And out of 50 to a hundred, you know, you'll have, you know, three or four that really turn out the way you like it. So, and and so I clean up the animal and I get them set up. I start looking at the backdrop and paying attention to the backdrop and and also paying attention to the sun. The only thing that's bad in a harvest photo is direct sunlight. So I really try to get to like the shade of a tree or the shade of something. If it's really sunshiny out, if it's cloudy, you can get good images. And so I just try to get away from direct sunlight. And really I look more at the backdrop than I do the lighting for me. I really want a backdrop that represents where I've harvested this animal at. And whether that's, you know, sagebrush rolling draws with a sunset going down or whether that's big mountains behind you or sometimes you kill them in thick cover and it's just the timber and and, and uh you know the terrain and, and and habitat around you. But trying to capture that. So I look at the backdrop, and then I really try to get that animal to a natural state, like almost like it's bedded there. It should almost look alive when it's sitting there. And so I try to tuck its legs underneath it. I get it rolled over and up on top, try to find a flat spot or flatter spot where I can roll it up. Um, And then I just start setting my camera up, and I look for different angles, and I'm looking for the angle that shows off the animal the best. Sometimes that's sideways. Usually muleys for me, muleys I like head-on or a slight turn, but I love that head-on or slight turn look. Now, when you're taking pictures for an article, it's good to also get a sideways shot because Eastman's will use that sideways shot and that head-on to give everybody a full look at your trophy. And so it's good to get all angles. But really what I'm looking for is the best angle on this animal. I'm looking for the one photo that's just going to do it for me when I'm looking for a harvest photo. So I start setting up my camera. I've got the animal set up. Um, I start tilting the head. Muleys, it's really important to get their nose down. It makes them look taller. You know, it brings them in close to the camera. 
Um, so I like to never sit on my animal. I like to pose them up. I like to get behind them. Sometimes I like to be in between the horns. Sometimes I like to be the side. And what I do is I just start taking pictures and looking at them, and I start looking at them with a critical eye, kind of zooming in. And so I'll take three, four photos from an angle, and then I'll go back to my camera, and I'll look at it and kind of zoom in, look at my face, look at the animal, look at the horns, and go, well, what would be better here? And then I might move my camera angle up. Up, like move my tripod up or maybe move my tripod lower and pull some grass. I, I try to focus. I make my focus like the deer's nose or the deer's eyes or the animal right there is what I try to focus on. And a lot of them are yeah. auto focus now on on uh, today's phones and, and uh, cameras and things. You just want to make sure it doesn't focus on the grass in front of them. And that's another good tip is cleaning out that grass in front of that animal. I'm, like, glad, you're, I'm glad you're talking about that. I'm, I'm glad you're hitting on that. Yeah, well, um, pulling up all that grass in front of the nose, in front of the head, in front of the animal, really expose the animal. And so I'm kind of looking for open spots when I'm setting up. But then if I've got grass or sticks or anything in the way, I'm really clearing that stuff out of my way so I can get a clear picture of the animal right there. So those are like a few things. I like to have the weapon in there. Make sure the weapon isn't pointed at you or like something stupid right. like that. That right. just doesn't go over well in the magazine, <laughs> even if it's unloaded or even if you have it sitting there on the animal. Or yeah. sometimes angles can just play tricks, and it looks like the barrel's pointed right at your yeah. head or something, you know, which isn't when good. It's not. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you know, so be cognizant of right. that and just take your time and enjoy the moment and really like just move that camera around and find different angles and find where that animal shows the best and then sometimes i'll flip it around and i'll be taking pictures one way and looking at them and then i'll go god i'm just going to get some pictures the other way and so i'll kind of move my camera to the other side of the animal and set up with like a different view um skylining the antlers like always looks cool if you can get the antlers to skyline out it shows them off or sometimes yep. a timber backdrop so something where those horns really contrast with the with the backdrop to show them off and then you know you just get behind your animal just start clicking some shots and and all of a sudden you'll find the angle and then you try to take like five or ten of that angle and it's like man i got them but then the support when you harvest an animal for these articles the close-ups of the horns and the close-ups of you grabbing the horns your buddy standing around the trophy the if you just click shots in those moments you're going to get some good ones you know starting to to butcher your animal with your knife you know um walking up to your animal i i love the walk-up photo as much as i like the harvest photo anymore the as they lay sure. like just when sure. you walk up on that animal to set that camera up and and then try to capture that photo of you just walking up or touching that animal or walking up behind it with your weapon, your bow, your rifle. Man, I love those photos. I've got some cool ones of my dad. He killed a really good buck uh, late season two years ago. I got some walk-up photos that are just insane. And same thing with my uncle. He killed his best buck to date in some walk-up photos. And I like that almost better than their harvest photos. I love those walk-up photos. But all of that is good content that then you can put together for us. So um, what So what did I miss there, Todd? Because you're really good at harvest photos. You look over thousands of them. Like what would you say are the key points or what's really important to you? You know, I think you – Everything that you said is very, very important. And I'm glad you talked uh, talked about foreground in in trophy sh in trophy shots. The I get so many pictures where the grass 
or the brush isn't cleared away from the animal, especially the animal face and headgear, whether it's horns or whether it's whether it is um, antlers, there will be brush or grass sticking up in the way, and the focus of the photo then is the grass. It's not the animal. And so taking that time to pull weeds out of the way, pull grass out of the way, break brush, and or in the case of deer and like deer and antelope, most of the time you can move those animals to some place that will offer you a better photo, uh, basically better stage to photograph on. Elk, as we all know, unless you've got a team of dudes, um, elk are almost impossible to move by yourself. You know, you might, you might be able to roll them around a little bit and, you know, get position them correctly, but elk are big. And if you got one or two people and you're trying to do that, that's a lot of work. If you kill it on a flat spot, yeah, you're going to be able to roll it out, roll it around and pose it and get it looking the best. But trying to, trying to get the best possible pose out of that animal is vital and making sure that brush is trimmed, you know, um, took photographs of a bull elk. I guess it was two years ago now for a buddy which was ended up being his last bull, sadly. But um, we spent a lot of time making sure that those, those photographs were top notch. And I'm really glad we did I even went so far as to cut a couple of little fir trees. This, this bull died in a really thick, nasty spot. And I cut a couple little fir trees out of the frame and was able to pose that animal up to make it so that I had a clear, unobstructed view of that animal for photographs. And now we all have those photographs to look back on and remember him and remember those, remember that hunt, you know, and that's so, so important. So cool. So, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you talked about that. You know, I think about high country game, goats, sheep, a lot of times they'll die in places that, uh, you can't move them very far or very much. You know, they're, they might be pretty precariously perched someplace. And so just cleaning them up, getting the blood off of them as much as possible. If their tongue's sticking out, you can try to stick it back in, but I've honestly found the best, the easiest way to take care of a tongue is cut it off. Um, if you're gonna, you know, if, if you want to save it to eat later on, which I know some people do, you can reach way down in and, and remove the tongue that way. It's easier to do after you skin the head out, but, um, that tongue's going to hang out no matter what you do. Trying to stick it back in just doesn't ever seem to work. And we can, we do crop that out. We can't edit that out in certain circumstances, but if it's not there to begin with, you have a much better photograph. And so I think just taking the time, like you said, you've got more time than you think. You knock an animal down and it's hot. It's early season archery and you knock a bull elk down and it's hot. You still have 30 minutes or 45 minutes to take photographs before the work starts, before you get that, that animal broken down and butchered. And I hear that a lot every year, Brian, where guys are like, oh, yeah, it was hot and I just wanted to get them broke down and taken care of. And so I, I didn't get the greatest pictures and I understand that sentiment. I really do. I get it. I've been there and done that. I'm sure you have too, but you can tell that they regret it. You can tell that they wish they would have taken more time to take better photos 
not just for a submission in a magazine, um, not just for a submission in Eastman's, but for themselves. So they have those photos to look back on. I mean, let's face it, man, meat doesn't last very long in the freezer. And those antlers sitting on the wall are great, great to look back at and remember a hunt. But if you have photographs of the hunt itself from beginning to end, from the time you hit the trailhead or you're even starting to pack, the more photos you take, the more you're going to have to look back on and remember that hunt and the more I'm going to have to work with with a submission. You've talked about support photography. That's huge. Support photography is huge. If all I have are griffin grins, I can build a feature out of that, but it's going to be pretty plain Jane. It's going to be pretty vanilla feature. The best features have the most support where it's almost like I could pick up that person's phone or camera and scroll through their photos and they wouldn't have to tell me anything about the hunt. I'd get the whole thing just by looking at their photos. Yes. That's what I love too. Yeah. Telling the story through the photos. So important. And 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 two, you know, you can you can use all those support photos through social media, and there's so many places to share it. Right. To where the olden days, you know, you you had to get in a magazine for anybody to see your photo, but but nowadays, God, you can you can share your your photography, and you can you can share th- things through social media, and then to get publicized through through Eastman's and shared on their pages, and it's it's just a it's a one of the positives of the social media world for sure is that anybody can share no, their agree. hunt or share their photos, and you're right, you tell such a story through those through those photos. Um, there is nothing better to me than. Like before season gets here, like I can go on my computer right now and go open files of, you know, Colorado 2010, New Mexico, you know, 2011. Right. I can go open photos of even 2016, Idaho, 2017, Colorado. You know, I can just open up these files that have hundreds and hundreds of pictures of, of just this adventure that I went on. And God, I just, I can relive the, the adventure, but I also, like, my buddies will come over and we'll start talking about doing a hunt. Or doing a high country and i can walk them through that hunt and they feel like they've been there with me you know and and not that i i make everybody sit down and look through my photos when they come over but um but but that you can really tell the entire story through those photos so yeah it just means the world to me in fact i just put um i just grabbed all my photos and cleared out my sd cards i just got you know all my photos from bear season and fishing here recently just got those all put onto my computer and in their file and then cleared out ready for hunting season ready for the next hunt but um yeah i mean you know for the story it helps for social media it helps but just to have them for yourself is really cool and like you say those harvest pictures that's a moment in time you're trying to save and if you get a good harvest photo like um you know it just means the world like you're really showing off that animal and all he has to offer and you're showing him from his best angle you're you're showing the country and the backdrop and and you know you can share that photo with family and friends and in other backcountry hunters and it's just um it's so cool to be able to capture a good moment like that or a, a moment that means so much to you and then share it with everybody so yeah there just can't be enough emphasis on taking a lot of photos that is the key yeah you know and obviously obviously i i mean i'm I have a job to do, and that is to and is to gather material for Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and Eastman's Hunting Journal, so we can produce magazines. And that's, I mean, that's my job. That's what I do. 
but if if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, I don't I don't care if I'm in a magazine or I'm not on social media, I don't care about that. That's fine. That's that's perfectly fine because I, I I get that too. But you should still be writing your stories or still be taking photos at the very least, so you have that stuff to look back on. One of the most treasured possessions in my family is my are my dad's old photo albums and my dad's journals that he hunting journals that he kept. Um, and and he's still around. Don't don't get me wrong, but I love sitting down and looking back through those old photos because I'll see one and man, it transports me right back to that hunt that I was on with him or it transports me. I can read a story and it takes me, you know, a journal entry. It takes me right back to a brisk November morning hunting deer, you know, in North country. And it's like, wow, that stuff's there for as long as it lasts. And it's priceless. So if you're, you know, you should be, you should be keeping a journal and you need to be taking lots of photographs, whether or not you plan on submitting to Eastman's, which please submit to Eastman's <laughs> shameless plug. Uh, I, we, we need your stories. We want your stories and we can't do what we do without you. So about you guys submitting stuff. So that, that said, but, just the intrinsic value, Brian, of photographs and stories is, I don't know, I'm a word guy and I'm a story guy and it means so much to me to have that stuff just to look back on that I'm going to do it no matter what. So I just would like to encourage folks that this fall, whether out and about, keep a journal or sit down and write about a hunt and take lots and lots of photos. That way, if you want to submit it, you can. And I would encourage you to because this is the way that I look at submissions that make the magazine. I was blessed enough, my wife and I were blessed enough, that the first year we were married, she killed her first bull elk. And it was it was a whopper. And I submitted it to Eastman's. And, the re- and, and it made it. It made the magazine. And arguably, that's why I'm where I'm at today because it opened doors for me as, as it did for you, you know, all those stories that you submitted opened doors for you to be where you are now. Same thing for me. It opened the door to get me a kind of build a relationship with Eastman's. And the next thing you know, here I am four years later sitting at the editor's desk and you just never know where that's going to take you. But more important thing for me was, that hunt for us was a big deal. We were newlyweds. It was her first elk. It was a big elk. And we had not only a story that I wrote and pictures that she and I took, but we had a magazine article. We had a whole bunch of magazines with her story and photographs in it, kind of memorializing that hunt, that animal, that time that we had together. And I can't, I can't express enough that when your story makes it in a copy of EBJ or EHJ, that's, I don't know. There's something special about that. You're going to have those magazines to look back on and to show kids and grandkids and relatives and friends and just open up some, some night during the off season when hunting season is over and open that magazine up and to read that story again and see your pictures in a magazine it's a special thing. 
and it's more for yourself than anything else. And I, 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 I did not expect that when I submitted a story all those years ago, that it would make such a big impression on, on me as far as being able to open it up years later and look back at that and go, wow, what a cool experience. What a cool hunt. What a, what a great time in our lives. And it's right there in it's immortalized in print, man. It's not going anywhere. So it's just, that's why you should do it. That's just one more reason why you should do it. And it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, um, it's people take notice too in that magazine and you do it. So you have it. And I've got the same thing. I've got stories framed that I've written that I look back on and, um, it, it does, it preserves it forever where you can take you back to that place and that hunt, but also People take notice like Eastman's is the, the, the number one magazine or media company in the West, you know, and so like when you get publicized right. in there, like that's how I made my name for for young guys. You know, right. it's really tough to get sponsored by companies nowadays to get free gear, free bows, free camo, whatever the case is. It's really tough to get noticed. How you get noticed is by taking good photos and then you're writing and you get publicized in magazines like Eastman's. And I remember you know, after I'd get two, three, four stories in Eastman's, like all of a sudden I was a, a consistently successful and people would take notice, you know, people would recognize me from the right. magazine. Um, and also companies started to know who I was. They started to know that, you know, I was that kid that was killing those high country mule deer. So all of a sudden I could call these companies and I could start getting in with these companies and the people and maybe I'd get a discount. Maybe I'd get some free gear. Maybe I'd partner with the company, but Really, that was how I got noticed. It's so tough to get noticed nowadays. It's so tough tough to build a, a following organically. Like it, it just takes a it takes a lot and a lot of effort. And so, like like getting into those magazines, getting into Eastman's is a shortcut to that. Where you get in, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got something to put on your hunting resume. And not that everybody's goal is to get sponsored or to make right. a name in the industry, right. but. I'm, I'm, people take notice when you're in the magazine and it's definitely a stepping stone to get you to that place. If your goal is to, you know, and it helps like when you love to hunt, like I love to hunt, I love to bow hunt. I'm going to go on these adventures and I'm going to take pictures no matter if I'm showing no one, no matter if it's just for me, you know, whatever the case is, but but there is something too that you can go on these adventures and then like if you get help from some of these companies it's it starts to help pay for your habit you know if you get some free gear from Eastman's or if you get some free gear all of a sudden you start getting free arrows or free broadheads from these companies well it helps you hunt a little bit more it helps uh, supplement the thing that you love the most you know and so that was kind of what I started to take notice of and it was like man people are really noticing I'm being publicized in this magazine and that's really how I how I started my name that opened up more more doors that got me to the opportunities that I have now. And I, I just love all these different formats where, you know, I love the writing and telling the story and, and all it is, is it's bringing the words from in your head out to paper. And we mentioned Hemingway, like you don't have to be Hemingway and you don't try to dress up your stories too much or be too fancy. Right. Like all you do is right. just be yourself and you try to like really describe what's in your head and and it's it's like tough to explain but i love writing like i love writing these articles you've got me a couple more projects to work on here due by august 1st i'm super excited for those 
I really want to sit down and write a book. I really want to put my photos together and sit down and take a winner and write a book. Like I love writing. And then you go to photography and I love photography, sharing my hunts through photos and harvest pictures, support pictures, pictures all the way through of the cool stuff that I'm doing and the adventures I'm going on. Cause you're right. A picture is a thousand words. And so to have 400 pictures from my elk hunt or 400 pictures from a mule deer hunt, like that's just normal to me nowadays. You know, I, I, absolutely love that and i'm always trying to improve trying to learn about trying to get better just so i can capture and show these hunts better and then you know to the 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 podcast the audio side of things like i absolutely love this format i love having guys like you on todd and having like an authentic conversation about hunting about photography or whatever comes up you know i i love to, to be able to describe things with your words to, to excite people and, and to get them excited about hunting or putting in the research or getting better or getting good photos or writing a good article. Like I absolutely love this format to the video side of things and trying to capture it through the video. It took me a few years. Like I thought I'm doing the coolest hunts out there if I could just have a cameraman. But then all of a sudden you got to be out there and learn how to tell the story and learn how to get the support shots. And you start learning. Careful it's a, what you wish for. It's a whole nother art form you know and a higher degree of difficulty when you're trying to capture these hunts with a bow and arrow you're trying to sneak two guys into bow range now and so you know it's an added degree of difficulty but you know all of these 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 arts or all of the these formats i've just fallen in love with just being able to share what i absolutely love to do and so I think you're right, Todd. It, it's just a um, whether you're doing it for yourself, for the magazine, you're trying to build a name, whatever it is. It's just important that you're doing it and taking part in it because it's such a great exercise to remember your hunts. That's just part of the experience. It's part of the hunt for me now. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough this last December to be right next to my brother when he harvested one of his biggest deer ever and i just immediately went to work with the camera with his phone with my phone with the dslr i mean you name it i don't know how many pictures we took of that of that buck and those moments and video i was laying down video too but now he has that in the next the next day it was december so it was cold so we were able to um, and it was not a backcountry hunt or anything. It, we were able to to just dress the animal, and we were able to get even more pictures in the daylight because he shot it right last legal shooting light. And we were able to get it out and take more daylight photos with it the next day. And just taking the time and taking those photographs, it was like it was over Christmas, and it was, I mean, the the, the deer hunt me being with him at that moment of truth was all, those are all huge things, but the photographs and video were like stocking stuffers at Christmas, man. <laughs> He's got those. I flip back through my phone or look at the computer files and, and I can relive that, that hunt. I can still see everything in my mind's eye. When I look back at those, at those photographs or watch those little video snippets and it's, it's priceless absolutely priceless to have and so if you're if you're not doing it you need to be like you said and and there's lots of reasons whether it's you know whether you're pursuing a career or whether it's for yourself or whether you just like to see stories in print i don't care 
um, do it up and send them in. We would love to have your submissions. And I think, man, I think everything that you you just said, Brian, is spot on. And if I was listening to this podcast and putting a plans together for a big Western hunt, I'd be making sure that I was doing everything that you just said that we've been talking about. Man, a priceless is a good way to describe it. That moment when you're on top of the world and you've put so much effort into it, and that moment when it all comes together is absolutely priceless. To have 100, 150 photos of the, the harvest and your buddies around, it's absolutely priceless. You never regret taking them. Like You just take a lot of photos. So I uh, just want to touch on a couple more things here, Todd. Um, uh, really appreciate you yeah. taking the time this morning but how do guys submit their their articles to eastman's there's a couple ways you can do that brian you can go on the website pardon me you can go on the eastman's website which is just eastman's.com and there will be a submit a story tab on there and that submit a story tab will take you to basically give you a step-by-step process Basically, what it does is you will send an email to editorial at eastmans.com. You, you still there? Yeah, yeah, still here. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I thought I missed you for a second. Um, you can Basically, what you're going to do is send an email to editorial at eastmans.com. You can do that through the website, or you can just write it down. It's editorial at eastmans.com, and that will come – to me and we've kind of streamlined the submission process before we had this big long form that people had to fill out online and it was kind of unwieldy and so what we've done is we've just made it simple where you shoot me an email and you have the ability to attach a picture like one photograph to that email and that will get a conversation started between us between me between you and and me basically and we can go from there i will walk you step by step through the process of what i need how i need it and make it as easy and painless for you as possible that was just when we looked at our process that we had in place we felt like it was just a little cumbersome and we wanted it a little bit more personalized and so that's kind of what we've come up with and it's working really really well i love talking to folks whether it's on the phone or whether it's via email, I love that that communication because I feel like if I'm directly communicating with someone, there's a much much smaller likelihood of miscommunication or misunderstanding. That makes sense. The other thing you can do, which is kind of a new one, is tag us in your social media posts, Instagram, Facebook. If you're posting up pictures of an animal, tag us tag at eastman's and or at eastman's hunting journal and it'll come to us i get probably i would say last year i got the bulk of my submissions off of social media and a lot of that was me hunting people down you'll if you see me slide into your dms (laughs) (laughs) all right at eastman slide into your dms that's me and i'm going to be asking you um to think about submitting a story and we can start a conversation that way. But you can be proactive, too, and tag us in those posts. That's a great, great way to get our attention because, quite honestly, there's so much stuff. And, Brian, in the next few 
basically from the middle of August until January, I don't think I set my phone down, man. <laughs> I am on social media constantly looking for animals, looking for submissions, looking for people with, that, are, that, are, that have a good story to tell and encouraging them to get a hold of me and, and tell that story. And so if you're tagging uh, Eastman's Hunting Journals in your posts, that's going to get my attention before I even see it because I'll be honest with you, I miss – there's stuff you miss. You can, Unless you're on it 24-7, there's posts that you don't see. You know, and they come they come back around and you, you don't usually get to see them. But, yeah, tag us – tag Eastman's Hunting Journals in your social media posts and we'll get right back to you or shoot us an email. You can call. And then, of course, there's the old school way too. You can download all your stuff, all your photographs on and a story and your equipment list on like a thumb drive or a flash drive and you can snail mail that thing to us here in Paul, Wyoming. I still get submissions that way and they work. The only thing that I can't use, Brian, are, you know, in the old days we had, we, we could scan photographs and things like that. And the, the, we could still like take pictures of pictures or scan things. It's really tough because the quality for, quality of scanned images into a magazine is just not there and it's really really hard so we ask that you don't send us hard copies of your photos send it send us digital platforms the other thing that i have to have for the magazine is your photographs have to be at least one megabyte or larger if there's usually what happens is oh my buddy took picture with his phone and then he texted it to me your pictures get compressed in that in that and so a picture that it started that process the original photo might be four five six megabytes by the time it gets texted over and compressed down it might be 648 kilobytes well it's too small to print in a magazine if it's in kilobytes it's got to be original size and original format raw images are by far the best but we're getting into territory there that, you know, if you're not a photographer or, or somebody who's really serious about it, you might not know what that means. Just make sure that when you're sending images that they come in the highest quality possible, the highest resolution possible. Three to 10 megabytes is ideal. Anything more than 10 megabytes is like that dream stuff. <laughs> That's like the Boone and Crockett photograph, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that was great tips about um, the compressed files, sending the the best copy of the photo that you have. Um, all that uh, submittal things, um, submitting to Eastman's, you can find on the website there in the magazine. And yeah, yep. just shoot Todd a line. He is a great editor. Todd, you do such a great job. With my articles, oh, a, thanks, a, a lot of editors like to like overcorrect or overwrite some of your stuff, and so they'll take your article and take pieces of it and rewrite it, and then it's not your own words. It's like not your writing. You right. do a really good job of like leaving my writing and my personality alone, and then correcting some little things along the way and making it read better. And every time you make a change, I'm like. Oh, that makes sense. That does read way better. You changed like a description of the <laughs> podcast a little while ago where I was like, man, he did a better job at it. That just reads better than what I wrote. It says the same thing, but you just do a really good job uh, of not ruining the writer's voice, 
but also helping them look a little bit better and a little bit smarter at times, you know? So um, I really like that. So we can I find all the that. information. I also just want to touch on another like dirty side of things is um, exclusive content. So I've had people that I've pushed your way to do articles and sometimes feelings get hurt because we want exclusive content at Eastman's. And, and a lot of times what people do is they kill a big animal and they send that story out to different publications to see who's interested. Some of these other publications right. will just print that story and the guy doesn't even know they're printing them. But all of a sudden you go to Eastman's then and Eastman's is interested in your story and they go, but wait, you just got put, you know, you know, you just got published in this this other magazine. We want exclusive rights or at least to be first on the, the article. We don't want people to see the same story and the same pictures throughout the magazines. We want to have our own original content. And so if you're shopping magazines to get printed in. Um, make sure that you're touching bases with Todd before you're sending them to, to other people. If Eastman's is the number one Western magazine, like just make sure you touch bases and at least talk to Todd and have a conversation before you start sending them out other places. Because I've had some guys with some big, with some feelings hurt because other magazines printed them or there was a miscommunication and all of a sudden Eastman's can't print their article. So when you do harvest a good critter, like we like exclusive content, uh, Right, Todd. I just wanted to touch on that a little bit for guys because I've I've definitely seen a couple guys that um, where it hasn't worked out real well. No, you're absolutely right, and I appreciate you bringing that up, Brian. It seems like every year I have to have one or two of those hard conversations with folks who um, maybe weren't aware of that, and it was pretty innocent. That's I mean that happens. Guys don't know that if you're going to submit to Eastman that we won't print. We, if, if one of our competitors picks up the story and uses it before we do, we won't print it. Um, that kind of excludes you then from Eastman's. And I have to have that conversation at most, and a couple times a year. And most folks understand, they get it. Um, and it was, you know, it was a, an honest mistake, or maybe they were just kind of shopping around and, and it doesn't matter to them. But the, the, the ones that do happen from time to time is you, you go with an outfitter and maybe an outfitter has connections somewhere and that, that article show up someplace. If you do that and you're on an outfitted hunt, um, if you can, if you can get exclusive, basically rights of refusal or, or um, just an agreement that says, Hey, I, I want control of the media on this and whatever. And some outfitters will do that. Some, some won't, you know, that's, that's a, those are muddy waters, man. And that's, super that's muddy. Kind of have to, yeah. You kind of have to navigate as you go, and and obviously, if you have a doubt or if you have a question, call me, email me, come, you know, talk to me, communicate, and let's see what we can work out. But you're absolutely right. We like to have exclusive rights to content, and if it shows up in a in another magazine, we're probably not going to print it. The one exception to that, Brian. And I get this question a lot is, well, what about Boone and Crockett's publication? Or what about um, how it showed up in the local sporting club's newsletter? Or, oh, it was in the Wyoming Wildlife Magazine. Or those are like nonprofit type magazines, organization magazines such as FANAWS or RMES. Those little, you know, sporting newsletters type things like that, newspapers. Those don't count. 
Um, those we don't we obviously don't view those as, as competition in this space. And so if if something guy kills a great big sheep and it shows up in in Fanaz or it's you know not a big deal. I can still use that story because it's a little bit it's a little bit. Uh, Oh, I don't know what to, I don't know what to call it, but we don't we don't consider yeah. that just disqualification, yeah, not, if, if you will. So. Yeah, not direct competition. Um, I'm with you. The you know, other and, and thing, you're right about, you're go, right about go ahead, Tom. I'm biased. We're, you and I are biased because we work for Eastman, but you're not wrong. This is the best Western hunting magazine or best Western hunting publication out there. There's and if you, if you really want to tell your story and reach the most people. This is the platform that you want to be on. Um, I had I've, I've had that conversation with lots of folks, and it's like if you want the most people to see your buck, bull, ram, moose, whatever, this is where you want to be. And it may take you know the process that we use is that guy picks the stories, and I get everything, I gather everything, and then he picks the, he hand picks the stories for each magazine. And we do that on a monthly basis. So I don't have a calendar of things laid out month and month and month in advance for the most part. Some, some things we do that way, but for the most part, when it comes to features, guy and I sit down a couple weeks before we go to print and I figure out he, he picks the stories he wants in what magazine. And so Honestly, a lot of times, Brian, I don't know what's going to be in an issue until a few weeks before it happens. That's the way Guy likes to do it. That's his program. And so I try to keep people in the loop as much as I possibly can, but folks do get impatient. And I, I understand that. They want, they're excited, man. They want to know. And I understand. And I do the best that I can to say, hey, you're in the pool. You're in the selection pool. And I will let you know as soon as I do. Thanks for your patience, and I really understand that it can be hard to wait. Um, so that's kind of how that works. And and so if you submit a story and you don't hear anything from me for months, that's not bad. You know, um, no news is good news kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to add to Todd is um, – you know, through Eastman's, you get in the magazine. Um, I'll have you on the podcast. I mean, most likely, you know, um, you know, I'm picking people out of the magazine and I'm getting hints from guys from Todd and things and trying to pick and choose and have good conversations and hit up these guys. But if you're in the magazine, hit me up, uh, send me a DM. I'll have you on the podcast. I'd love to have you and talk over your story and what you're into. And so, you know, the podcast is tough. We do one a week and I like picking guests and, and people that I can have good conversations with. And so, we kind of pick and choose and and um but but i'd I'd love to have you know if you guys get a story and you get it published in the magazine give me a shot i'd love to have you on the podcast and we'll have you on for an episode so um just a good bonus to being in the magazine and um man todd i uh i really enjoy our conversations we've we've already gone long i wanted to get into elk hunting and then i also um i just want to mention todd runs all the wingman stuff there at eastman's he does a great job he runs a social media all the content um you know real quick todd what do you have going on there at eastman's right now what are you guys working on or at wingman sorry Oh, well, on the wingman side of things, obviously a lot of pretty season stuff. We've got gear coming in. 
for all kinds of reviews. I've got a big lineup of shotguns to do for shotgun reviews. And obviously that'll be YouTube channel um, and social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook. And I've got, I'm sitting here kind of looking over my shoulder. I've got a brand new stick of vest that just came rolling in. And I'm kind of, it's, they're, they're brand new. They just debuted these things and I'm itching to put that thing through the paces and let people know how it works. Um, and it's, it's kind of packed with some cool features. So that's the big thing, Brian, you know, just like on the big game side of things, everybody's getting ready for season. It's the same thing here, doing, doing dog work, doing a bunch of clay pigeon shooting, whether it's skeet or sporting clays or trap, just honing those skills and, and, uh, putting together plans for, different accesses and different hunts and yeah just ramping up for fall man it's the same on the waterfall and upland side of things as it is for the big game guys that anticipation is is uh is there we may have a little more gear that we get to tinker with because you guys don't have dozens of decoys to play with like we do (laughs) (laughs) um well how cool you do a great job with uh wingman uh as the editor there at eastman's um make sure to give todd a follow um on his instagram he runs the wingman page and facebook and things um yeah you guys put out great content man i always really enjoy our conversations um yeah let's try to get out fishing again and and uh thanks todd i really appreciate it man that went quick yeah, same here. It was good to, good to chat, Brian, and I appreciate you having me on. Yep, sounds good. All right. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, fun conversation with Todd. Uh, he's just a great guy. Like I say, I've had fun hanging out with him this past summer. We've been doing some fishing together, and uh, I'll be pulling for him here uh, for elk season, see if he can turn up a good ball so important to to capture your hunts whether it's through photographs uh, video written word um just so fun to look back on and capture these these wild moments of adventure in our life and so um it it just brings it to the forefront of our mind talking about it and uh so hopefully got you guys some good information coming into season uh i'd like to thank our sponsors for today's show high mountain seasoning uh just everything you need to Uh, process your wild game jerky seasonings snack sticks summer sausage steak marinades they have it all make sure to check them out Uh, iota outdoors uh, just high-end scope rings and bases Um, you know rings and bases you can trust they build the level right on them Um, they also build rifle stocks Uh, make sure to check them out iota outdoors Um, yeah over here at eastman's like i say dan's had a little success this season that's been fun and uh, just waiting for some more pictures to roll in from the guys. Um, hunting like a madman here. I'm about worn out. Man, oh man. A um, couple weeks chasing mule deer. Um, absolute mule deer bliss uh, up in the high country. Really chase some monsters up there. So uh, I'll be sharing pieces of the hunt. I also recorded a live podcast throughout. Um, so I've got to put together about 30 clips that I have. And, um, so it, it came out a little bit long, but it's all in real time, which is, um, which will be fun to release to you guys. You know, in this podcast, I'm always in a comfortable studio or, um, IE my basement, you know, in my, in my office down here, but I'm always in a comfortable space thinking and talking about hunting, but it's a little bit different when you're there. Um, you get to hear, you know, my frustration, you get to hear when I fail, you know, I click it on at all the worst times and all the best times too. Um, 
so you can hear the excitement and uh, I think I'll call it the highs and lows of mule deer season. Um, should be a good listen. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a real time podcast. I've had this vision for a while to try to do this. So um, I just need to edit it up and uh, get it released to you guys. Hopefully I can release it as a bonus episode here and um, keep hunting. I've had a couple days to recover here and um, I want to get chasing some elk. I see some elk hitting the dirt. I'm sure they're getting rutting hard. Um, so yeah, I just got to get out. Just got to keep hunting here. So, um, yeah, I wish you guys all the best this season. Thanks for all the kind messages. Um, congratulations on all your guys' success. It isn't easy out there on public ground. Um, just so happy for you guys, uh, especially you guys that are out there working hard, putting in the time, improving your skill set, and uh, being successful. It's really fun to share in. And um, with that, yeah, that's a wrap. I'll uh, check in with you guys next week.